Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. probably agree. He was wealthy, and I don't mean just a little wealthy, but really wealthy. One of the wealthiest people to ever live. And there's no way to precisely calculate Solomon's wealth in today's figures, but we can kind of get a pretty good idea of Solomon's um, money that was being received. We can look at 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 13 through 28, and we see a list uh, of not only the taxes that he was receiving from the people and the revenue from the merchants, but also gifts from foreign governments and dignitaries as well, because we all know politicians never take gifts from foreign bodies. But um, <laughs> He also, in addition to all of that, received every year, every year, according to that passage, 25 tons of gold. Can you imagine just having a ton of gold, let alone 25 tons of gold every year? Again, we can't really measure what that's worth in in today's money, but in Solomon's day, 25 tons of gold was absolutely unfathomable. Think about how would one move that amount of gold? You know, nowadays we have we have um, you know we have vehicles, we have uh, we have planes, we have all kinds of equipment to move that um, that type of weight of gold. But it's insane. Trying to think about doing that with horses, donkeys, manpower. It's a lot of money. In our day. I know what 25 tons of gold equals out to about right now, depending on the rate of gold, but it's about $1.6 billion in our money today. $1.6 billion in gold every year. Be pretty nice, right? You can pay off some bills, pay off some debts with that. Let's put that into perspective. $1.6 billion, even if that's just what it was back then. One of the highest, if not the highest, Um, highest paid people in the world today is Tim Cook of Apple. I'm sure you're all familiar with Apple, whether you have an iPod or an iPhone or an iPad or iTunes or whatever the i product is that you have. I'm sure that you're familiar in some way with Apple. Tim Cook, one of the highest paid people in the world, if not the highest, he was given total compensation in 2011 that was just under $378 million. Yeah. Solomon was wealthy, ridiculously wealthy, putting our wealthiest people to shame. The utensils Solomon ate with, the cups that he drank from, the throne that he sat on, they were all made of gold. He was so rich in gold that silver pretty well lost all of its value altogether. Second Chronicles tells us that silver became so common in Jerusalem that it was like stones. Can you imagine silver being like dirt? It's just laying around. 
People are walking on it. It's pretty crazy. And that's not even looking at Solomon's other treasures and gifts that he received, like chariots, horses, mules, fine clothes, spices. And for those of you that, that think that spices, it's like, what is that? You know, why is that important? Have you ever looked at the price of some spices, like saffron? It's ridiculous, okay? Very expensive, can be at least. The man had everything. The man lived a glorious life that many people of our day can't even imagine. I can't imagine living like this man. And it wasn't just the money either. It wasn't just the money that made his life one that seemed so glorious. He had power and wisdom and a vast kingdom. Kings wanted to make alliances with him. Women wanted to be his wife. Men wanted to be him. He was envied. He was feared. He was loved and he was admired. He had everything that should make one happy and defines your life as a success according to the world. Yet Solomon, at the very end of his life, said, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's all meaningless, is a better way of putting it. Why was he not happy for one who lived such a glorious life? In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon says, I did everything and anything that I wanted to. I explored every pleasure. I denied myself nothing. And at the end of my life, I can tell you that it was all a waste. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon had everything. 
He had everything he could ever want, more than he could ever want. Did you see what he says there in that passage? He not only had everything, but he pursued anything and everything that he wanted. He even has, did you notice this in the passage? He even has his own personal choir following him around and making every moment of his life seem glorious. Can you imagine that? Walking into a room. People just follow you around singing. Be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Like have a soundtrack for your life. That'd be kind of cool. But as glorious as that is, he didn't have peace. He didn't have happiness. He didn't have joy. Why? He had everything that you and I think, man, if I just had that, life would be so much simpler. If I just had some money to pay off the bills, if I just had the money to make sure that, you know, I got a new car or a new house or new fill in the blank, I would be happy. Solomon had it all. He wanted for nothing. And he didn't have joy. Why? Because Solomon, as he chased after every pleasure that this world can possibly offer, forgot about piety. He forgot about piety. He forgot about holiness. He forgot about the worship of the one true king. Friends, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Don't misunderstand Solomon's words. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Don't let anyone in the world ever convince you that Christianity is no fun, they're all a bunch of sticks in the mud, and that you can't enjoy yourself. You like to eat? Who do you think invented the concept of flavors? And gave you taste buds. God did. God could have made all food to look exactly alike. And be this gray blob of gunk that had no flavor whatsoever. But he didn't, did he? He made bacon. (laughs) And we all know what a great and glorious gift of God bacon is. Poor vegetarians though, they'll never know. God created the full spectrum of flavors that we can combine and experiment with and enjoy. I love watching Food Network, except when it's about mealtime, because then it makes me really hungry. I love watching Food Network and seeing all the creative things that we do with the food that God has given to us. And that's just one thing. What about sight? When you look at the world around you, Do you see basic geometric shapes with no color or aesthetic design? No! God made a world where there are all kinds of different designs and colors and textures and shapes. From the very minimalist beauty of the desert to the abundant layers of beauty in the rainforest. What about sexuality? Which it seems Solomon was particularly fond of. God made that to be fun too, to be pleasurable too. He could have made it a simple act of procreation and propagation for mankind to do and not enjoy. Yet he gave us nerves. He gave us minds. He gave us a physiology that allows us to enjoy the process. No, we don't believe that pleasure is bad in Christianity. God made pleasure. And everything that God made is good. But when a good thing is taken and elevated to the position of God, that good thing becomes evil. That good thing becomes an idol. 
We cannot take good things and make God things out of them. We must worship creator God, not created thing. When you decide to make every moment in your life about that thing that gives you pleasure, when you worship pleasure rather than the God who gave it to you, it's idolatry. When we choose to make every moment, when we choose to invest all of our wealth in it, when we compromise our morals and our integrity to pursue pleasure and think only ever and always about pleasure, as Solomon did, then it's fair to say it has become our God. Let me ask you, friends, are you making pleasure your God? Are you forsaking piety for the sake of pleasure? It's an easy God to follow. Pleasure is probably the easiest God in the world to follow because it's so much fun for a while. But she is an empty and hollow goddess in the end. She is vanity. The word vanity doesn't quite capture the meaning that he's going for there. It's meaningless. Meaninglessness. Pleasure is meaningless if it is worship. And Solomon found that out the hard way. But how? How did this happen? How did Solomon get to this point in his life? Ecclesiastes is written at the end of his life. How did one of the wisest men in the world, in the history of the world even, live such a life that at the end of it he said it was meaningless? I wasted my time, I wasted my effort, I wasted my treasure, all pursuing pleasure as my goddess. How did this happen? It happened little by little. It happened decision by decision. One sin led to another, which led to another. If you have a Bible, let's take a look at this process. You'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 8. 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. It says this, now, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after uh, Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the uh, mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all 
his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Notice what the author writes. Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. For those of you who haven't read the Old Testament, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But for the people of Israel who would have read this, they would have known, they would have already read most of the Old Testament already, they would have known that this was a big red flag. First, Solomon was married to a woman from the people who used to enslave the Israelites, the daughter of Pharaoh. He's sleeping with the enemy, quite literally. And doing so most likely to solidify an alliance between Egypt and Israel. Second, Solomon loves many, underline, highlight, many women. And I don't mean he just had a kind-hearted affection for them, folks. While quite a few leaders in the Old Testament take many wives, that was not what God desired or commanded. From the very beginning of creation, God has intended marriage to be between one man and one woman, starting with the very pattern of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who are bound in covenant marriage before God himself who officiates. God makes the statement that they become one flesh. The two become one. Not more than two. The two become one flesh. That's Genesis 127, if anybody wants a reference. Also, you can look at the Ten Commandments and see clearly the intended pattern by God, who commands in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Wife, singular, underline, highlight. Wife, not wives. Third, Solomon decides that there aren't enough pretty Israelite women and goes looking for more wives and concubines among the exact people that God said not to. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. Why did God say that? Is God racist? Really? You think God who made humanity is racist? That doesn't make any sense. So why? Why would he say these people groups you should stay away from? Because these groups did not follow God. They did not worship the one true God. God is not racist. Believe it or not, you'll hear some atheists make that claim from passages like that. That God is a racist. That's really interesting. God made humanity in his image and likeness, all of humanity. So that doesn't make any sense that he would be racist. But anyway, these groups, these people groups listed, all worshipped false gods. Not only do they worship false gods, but the false gods that they worship are involved in all kinds of weird, deviant, scary practices. Not only deviant sexual acts of worship, but also child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. As in taking a baby and killing it. Or even laying it on an altar in a pan to burn alive. God did not want his people tangled up in pagan 
practice. He did not want them to be involved with a pagan people who worshipped detestable and evil false gods like that. Friends, a word of warning from Solomon's life. It's never wise to get involved with a pagan or a non-believer. It's never wise to date somebody for those of you who are in that time period in your life. It's never wise to date somebody who is not a believer. Why? Because each of you value different things. Your source of ultimate authority that you have to guide your life is different. Ladies, if he's handsome but he doesn't love the Lord, forget about him. He will lead you into things you will regret and he will change you. You know how I know? Because it's happened before in history. We see it in Solomon's life. We saw just now in our first Kings passage that Solomon, the great, the powerful, the mighty, the wise, he was led astray by some pretty faces who didn't love God. It doesn't happen overnight. Notice verse 4 in that passage. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. When he was old. This doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a little wearing down each and every day. Now, did these women wait until he was old to suddenly start worshiping their pagan gods? No, not likely. They probably worshiped them every single day. And day by day, Solomon saw them doing what was detestable in God's sight, yet he chose to allow it. He chose not to say anything to them. And at first, he didn't participate in it himself. He just let it slide. But eventually, he started to watch. Eventually, he started to listen. Eventually, he started to attend the worship and participate in it, little by little. Pleasure, who was his God, led him away to destruction. Pleasure, who was his God, destroyed his piety. Solomon began building altars and high places to worship the false gods. Not once, not twice, but did you see what verse 8 says? For all his foreign wives. Think about that. Even if it's just one altar and one high place for each of his foreign wives, how many wives did he have again? Seven hundred. The man was busy. I mean, geez, between seeing each of his wives and building altars for them, the man must have had zero free time. It's funny, you can laugh. Solomon builds these monuments to his own idolatry, to his own false god of pleasure because he values his relationships with his wives more than he values his relationship with God. Let me ask you folks, what monuments and altars and high places are you setting up in your life right now? Because we still do this today. Is it sports? Is it work? 
Is it family? Is it unbiblical sexual relationship? Is it food? Is it money? What pleasures have you allowed to decay and destroy your piety for God? When it comes down to it, friends, the worship of pleasure is really about the worship of self. We've been in a series for a couple weeks now called Deny Your Selfie. We've been looking at this idea of self-worship and self-glorification. And through pleasure, it is so very easy and so very fun to worship ourselves for a while. But in the end, it leaves us feeling so very empty. Let me ask you, do you feel empty? Have you chased after something, some pleasure to find that it only brings pain in the end? Have you given up God for something that ultimately was meaningless? Just another trophy on the shelf, a car in the garage? Just another relationship you wish you had never gotten into? Have you chased after the wind and come away with empty hands? I have good news for you, friends. There is freedom and hope and forgiveness in Christ. Today, if you're a Christian, the challenge is to continue to repent, to continue to destroy your false idols, to continue to put to death your sin. I love the Puritans. There was a Puritan who wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin and talked about the ongoing process of putting to death sin in our lives as followers of Christ. That is your challenge as a Christian today, to continue to put to death those pleasures that lead you away from God rather than into glorifying God. But today, if you're not a Christian, the challenge is this. You are being held captive by your pleasures, whether you know it or not. You are being led away from God daily by the things that you think are so great and place so much importance on. And the place that you are being led to by those pleasures is not one you want to be, I promise you. But it doesn't have to be that way. Christ is calling you out of your sin. He has come to rescue you from it, to break the chains of bondage that have you tangled. Christ has come. He is Lord and Savior. And the challenge to you is to repent and believe today. And we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to sing a song. And as we do, the moment before you now is for you to receive that gift. And I do mean receive. There is nothing you can exchange for it, no payment you can make for it. It has been paid in full on your behalf by Christ, who on the cross as he dies says, It is finished. Done paid in full on your behalf. Today, if you need to receive that forgiveness, believe and repent.
believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he will do what he says he will do. If you're ready to receive that gift today, won't you come forward as we stand and sing together? Thanks for joining us for the message today. If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.